This is Talking Dirty, Get Gardening's podcast for plant lovers. The video version is available on our Get Gardening YouTube channel, so you can head over there if you want to see our ugly mugs, and there are pictures of the plants there as well. There are full plant lists on our Twitter and Instagram at Get Gardening Now, so go check those out. But without further ado, let's start Talking Dirty. I'm not challenged um, by things that self-seed uh, one bit, and I, I, I've got one or two things here. See, I um, love self-seeders. I, I yes. admit that I'm not as good at editing them yet as I would like to be, but I, I just, there's nothing more exciting to me than plants turning up and nature doing combinations that I might not have thought of. Yes, they place themselves so well sometimes. Um, I don't know how you feel about this one, though, Alan. This oh, is Rigoron Annuus. I love it. A Rigoron Annuus. I keep this in one place. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's, it's a sort of a, a, a bed, a raised bed. I tried to keep it in there because it is such an effective soil seeder because it, it's about, well, I don't know, four feet tall at least. Do you find that, Alan? It's about three foot with me. And what we do, we use we use all those self-sown seedlings and we thread them through borders in the spring. Yes. You know, when we're weeding, we pop some uh, Ridgeron annuus in and it takes that wonderful theme going through. Um, well, of there's... course, Cordis, he has 32 acres. In my 32 acres, you know, <laughs> we also have a thalictrum garden that somebody, and somebody gave us very kindly a collection of thalictrums. And uh, uh, during the past three years they've been there, there's one, thalictrum flavum, which is the oh, one with yes. the very stalkish leaf and the lovely lemon yes. and green flowers. That has flowered through the complete border. And you're walking about 100 yards, border on either side. And it, is, it just has such a unifying effect. It looks absolutely splendid. Now, yeah. my, 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 my task is to control it. Yes. <laughs> I think that's what people miss about annuals. Yes. They are great unifiers. So these white daisies, which are getting to about four feet tall among roses and various other things, they just put, they just sort of unite the planting. Exactly. But, I mean, it is, if you don't like self-seeders, do not plant a rigorous annuus. Uh, it's a great favourite at Great Dixter. And um, once you've got it, you'll never get rid of it, I don't think. Because as these top daisies um, are producing their seed, the daisies further down are flowering. And... Um, but um, you do get some lovely things that sell seed. And um, this is a Lenaria that seeds for me. And it's like, and I can never get the name of this right. It's called Three Little Birds. And it's Triorni something or other. Triorni Othra. I will get the name for you. But this pops up in crevices in the paving in most inconvenient places. This one is pale pink. Um, and uh, but you get purples and you get blues and um, it, it's very easy to save the seed. Um, it's very drought tolerant. I like Linarias. Um, so I don't cull this one at all. I just feel grateful every time it pops up. That's the word thing. I was looking for, Val. Grateful. Grateful. It depends, yeah. on, it depends on your philosophy and whether or not you've got 32 acres, I expect. But... <laughs> If you've got a, a largest garden, you, you should be grateful for some of these self-seeders because they are, yes. they're saving you money and they're adding so much bounty, bounty yes. to the garden, actually. Yes, I mean, I have a, a lot of poppies in the garden. Yeah, me too. And, and, and um, a lot of the ones that are meant to be white have come up in this hideous sort of pinky red colour. 
But I'm just leaving them. So I'm not going to let themselves seed those. I think you do have to be a bit ruthless. And we have a lot of valerian, and I'm always going on about valerian being such a good butterfly and moth plant. Um, and it, this, if you keep deadheading it, will flower. And this is lococci, which is the sort of mauve one. I'm not keen on white valerian. I'm not keen on white full stop, to be honest, because we've got such harsh light up on top of the Cotswolds. Mm. That it, it brings you up short in the garden. It's horrible. I don't mind blush whites or peachy whites, but bright whites. So uh, a white valerian tends to get pulled up by me. But, well, um, all I can say is you're not a personal girl. No, no. Or Daz. No. <laughs> or Seth. <laughs> well, it's lovely in, in shade, white, but we don't get much shade on top of the Cotswolds facing south. Of course, Alan will have areas. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm just going to mention this one, Catanapi. Oh. I, I love this plant because one it's of the best insect plant. It's so delicate. It's got such a lovely color. It doesn't really come out the color in, in under the lights in this kitchen. And these wonderful papery buds, and yeah, so easy to grow from seed. Yes, and so accommodating and so hardy. Catnash as well. You're talking about you know drought tolerant plants. Catnash, I suppose. And I don't have Alba, but I'm sure both of them just so good in a, a baked. Yeah, you know, place where they're not going to get much water. I mean, one of the reasons I'm against white plants is a they jar my eye, but the other reason is they don't have much pigment in their petals, and white plants nearly always brown as they fade. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So they're 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 best used in moderation, a bit like variegation. (laughs) (laughs) I probably doesn't agree with that, but then he's got thirty-two acres. Acres. I think I love everything about Cavanash, or however you say it. Um, and it's such a wonderful, luminous kind of blue. Yes. And so abundantly floriferous as well. Yes. Yeah, it's lovely. It it's wonderful how, people, how different people see different colours, you know, because I would always say that it is mauve. Would you? Yes. <laughs> well, I probably would say it's mauve, yeah. But I think when you get it against green... I've got it um, coming up. Um, there's there's a pink um, scabious near it. But for many years, I had it coming up um, in a sort of foam of steeper tenuissima. And that definitely yeah. made it look bluer. And, yeah. you know, colours react like that, don't they? They're so they important, mm. you, know, you know, to know your colour wheel and realise how colours are made more vibrant by others or washed mm. out by others. Yeah. I know I went to a garden once that had... Um, uh, an orange and yellow border, and it was Lysimachia punctata, which is quite an old-fashioned plant now, and red Crocosmia lucifer. And it was very bland. And I, I like a little bit of drama in my gardens, and I thought, oh, I would be adding, you know, aconitum sparks blue. I would be putting things in. I, I like colour. I'm not afraid of colour at all. I, I'm with Christopher Lloyd on that one. Yeah, so am I. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in my meadow at the moment, I've got my hardy orchids and I've got lots of different um, geranium pretenses in all different colours and shades, including pink. I must have spilled water on my computer. That could be fatal. <laughs> I've got lots of moon daisies. I've got lots of old grasses. This is crested dog's tail. Um, this is sweet vernal grass. I have to think about that carefully. These have both come back in the seed bank. And this is yellow rattle, which I sowed. And in amongst 
this is a, another self-seeding thug, which is um, fox and cubs, which is hieracium. And these touches of orange amongst the blue, it, they're just pulling the eye and making, making these colours jump out a little bit more. And gardeners are terribly afraid of orange. They won't use it. They think it, it's a common colour. But it, it really is the touch paper colour for blues and purples. Yeah. And, and, you know, yellows come to that as well. I love orange and I love fox and cubs and I'm very jealous because my mother has essentially a carpet of fox and cubs in her driveway, just gradually seeding yes. like a tidal It wave. is invasive. I, take, I often take it out if I see it heading towards a prized plant. <laughs> I've got this cobra-headed um, tool and I'm out there <laughs> pecking at things that I don't want to I know to exactly what you mean because I've got that and in... Norfolk, we call it a Norfolk, Norfolk scuffling hook. A Norfolk, oh, scuffling hook. It's got one little blade on the end, like a big yes. finger. Yes, Drag it through, and it's very easy for getting in nooks and crannies for, and for winkling out those naughty little seedlings that seed into something precious. Yes, it, it is my go-to thing for yeah. ground elder as well. I use it all the time. Yeah. And it's a disaster if I suddenly can't find it. You know how garden tools disappear? The garden sprite, along with the gloves. The overheaded tool is, is one of my very favourites. I'm just going to... I've got some roses if there's time. Yes. I just wanted to show you this, which is um, one of these perennial peas, uh, Lotharis grandiflora. This is, this is a scrambler. This is not a tidy plant. And it doesn't smell like a sweet pea. But if you've got a sort of bare corner or a corner where I've got a, a, a rose called Adelaide Dorlaine, which is quite yeah. pale and blush pink <laughs> and looks a bit anemic on its own in this harsh light, you can actually grow uh, this uh, a perennial pea. Uh, it never sets seed. It sets seed once for me after a very hot summer about 20 odd years ago when I had it in my other garden. But look at the keel on that. Mm. And the stems are short. It's not much good for picking either, but it's just a real splash of summer pink at this time of year. And, and, and I'm all for summer pinks. That's gorgeous. So roses, I know, well, certainly the roses in my garden have been wonderful. Alan, I can't even imagine. I haven't been to East Ruston for a few weeks. I can't, it, or not to look at the garden anyway, uh, to drink wine, yes. Um, <laughs> I can't imagine what the roses at East Ruston are like. No, they've been absolutely fabulous. I mean, my, my <clears throat> I love all roses, actually. I'm not so keen on hybrid teas and ploribundas, if I'm honest. But um, what I'm in loving at the, the moment... The rose I'm... snob. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, sorry, I interrupted. <laughs> what I'm loving at the moment is the self-sown or the bird-sown seedlings from the various ramblers that we grow, like Bobby James and Kifskate and all, even yeah. American Villa. Um, and I've got one in particular. I mean, they're, they're nearly all white, the self-sown ones. Yeah. And they're, they're either just plain singles or they're semi-doubles or they're little pom-pom doubles um, so that sometimes have a, a dash of pink in them. But with one single rambler that opens up to be a bright, bright pink that gradually fades until the petals have a little lipstick edge of pink. And I just think that's absolutely charming. Wonderful. And I've got one, one that flowers over my postman's gate, which is a... The seed was deposited straight next to the wall, so it's obviously a bird sitting on the top. The seed germinated on the north side of the wall. It comes up the wall and over the, onto the south side. And I train branches down so that we can reach up and smell it because it's got a lovely scent of apples. A little oh, dark, yeah. double pink. 
Yeah, it's lovely. I mean, I, I love roses. And um, there was an article in the paper just recently um, that said, um, you know, people aren't buying roses and roses aren't popular with gardeners. Well, I think they are popular with real gardeners. And um, I've got one or two um, ramblers here, which I'm, well, I've got one rambler, which I'm very, very fond of because, um, as you know, ramblers vary in vigour and um, most people don't have 32 acres. <laughs> so this is goldfinch, oh. which is a well-behaved rambler. And, and this, um, all, most of the ramblers that we um, uh, grow in our gardens are, uh, are right, bred right at the beginning of the 20th century. And I'm, this is a multiflora. And I'm just trying to read who bred it, but I don't think I've got it. But a lot of them are bred by Paul, but this one may not be. But they're all sort of been going for over 100 years. And uh, goldfinch is lovely because it opens, it has these sort of um, lovely uh, buff, orange, uh, well, not orange, really, buffy sort of brownish buds. And then it opens to almost a pale egg yolk and then it fades. And I love it when plants do that. This mm. rose gets criticised because it fades, but actually in the garden, it's absolutely beautiful. And Peter Beals and I um, always loved roses that only flowered once. It never bothered us because the roses that flower once are so abundant. And it doesn't matter if they only flower once because they do it so magnificently. I mean, there's plenty of roses that ration out their flowers, but these <laughs> ramblers just, just flower once. And if it really, really bothers you uh, about um, uh, growing um, you know, a rambler and then it going out a flower, you don't have to deadhead them. You will get hips and you will get seedlings, which is lovely. But you can, can grow, and I've just dropped it on the floor, <laughs> uh, a viticella clematis very easily next to a rambler and it won't smother the rambler and you can cut the clematis down hard so the pruning isn't difficult in February, the February massacre. And um, the one I'd probably go for there uh, is probably um, Polish spirit because it's a really rich blue and it's a bit later than Etoile Violet so you get that if you do overlap, you get the contrast. But I'm very big on viticellas. I've only got a couple out, but this one's called Prince Charles. Very, very topical with the Jubilee. Uh, and it's just beginning to open. And um, this one is called Alba Luxurians. Yeah. And these viticellas are so charming because they aren't like dinner plate clematis. They're not symmetrical. Um, this one's got touches of green on the white and the back on the front and the back, a twist in the petals. And they're just so charming. And this one will grow, looks wonderful in some shade. Um, so, you know, don't be worried about uh, a rose that only flowers once because it will deliver huge amounts. Christopher I, Lloyd once actually said, you wouldn't expect a lily to flower twice. So why do you expect a rose to flower twice? Yes, I know. Um, I mean, I do grow some, a lot of repeat flowering roses uh, in, the, in the borders, but these ramblers are very good at going up line posts. We, when we moved here, there were six line posts and I left one in and it goes up there. And um, I've got roses all along the south facing wall. Uh, and this is one of my favorites. It's a hybrid musk called Cornelia. And it also does that thing of morphing. So you get these uh, uh, quite colorful buds, and then you get these wonderful sort of sunsetty pink flowers, and then they fade to a paler pink. And all hybrid musks are very, very fragrant because 
the Reverend Pemberton, who lived in Essex, and who raised these um, in the 1920s, um, always selected for scent. So I, I grow quite a lot of hybrid musks and uh, quite a lot of viticellas too. One of my favourite rows. I'm, I'm ed edging onto the um, thunder. You know this because we've talked about it, but I'm, I'm by myself liking more and more single-flowered roses. Yes. Um, and <laughs> I don't know what it is. I mean, it's, um, it's just how I feel about them. But one of my favourites was given to me as a very, very thorny cutting from a, a lady called Fiona Black, who's a great friend and lives one and a half miles from the garden here. And she has a knack of acquiring special plants. And this one is Rosa Bracteata, which you probably know, Val, I expect. Yes, I don't grow it, but I do know it. Yeah. Yes. And it, the, what, the reason I love it is because with the climate changing, it's practically evergreen um, yes. and it flowers late. Yeah. So it's not, not in flower yet. And it probably won't start until beginning of July. And yeah. thereafter, it just goes on throughout the latter part of the summer. And I find that lovely. It's pale cream with this big boss, creamy white, big boss of yellow stamens with a touch of brown on them. And I just yeah. think it's, such a, it's like a big fat fried egg. Yes, it's <laughs> lovely. I, 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 I do like uh, simply hued roses. I've got quite a lot of single roses. Yeah. Um, some of them with Persica blood. And Hartness have bred quite a series of single-flowered ones. And there was a Rose of the Year just uh, in recent times, which was called For Your Eyes Only, which has yep. a sort of plummy middle, and it's single. Mm -hmm. So I do grow some singles. And I planted one that's named after Jane Austen's garden, Chawton, C-H-A-W-T-N, T-O-N. And I think that's right, correct? And that has um, a sort of bluish... Um, pink single flower but almost with a blueberry splash in the middle it's, yeah. uh, it's only just getting going uh, it's planted in a very harsh part of the garden mm. um, because I, what i try to do is i try to train the roses over the over the low stone walls with the clematis and sometimes um, the best show of the roses is the other side, so yes. I have to run the edge of the garden into the field <laughs> to actually see them. But I, I do agree with you on single roses because you, you, I, some of them repeat flower, but you often can leave the last flowers on the rose and get really interesting hips. Exactly. I mean, I like Bonica, which is a yes. semi-double, semi really. Well, Bonica, um, we have in our in our um, in our sunk garden at the moment. And Bonica has the, I mean, I used to talk to Peter Beals about it, and he said it's the longest flowering rose that he knew. Yes. Um, unfortunately, it's not scented, but life's a series of compromises, so we can't have everything, even if we do have 32 acres. <laughs> we no. Well, the, the thing about Bonica is it's another rose, not so much now we're having climate change, but it always used to start a little bit later than most roses, which was useful. But the, yeah. the thing about Monica is it's usually the last rose to flower. Exactly. And it forms these um, heads of up to 20 blooms. I haven't, don't think I picked Monica. No, I don't think I did. No, I got another pink rambler here that I don't know the name of. Oh, that's nice. Which is, yes. which is beautiful. I, I, I can't grow too many ramblers. I don't grow many any white ramblers apart from one called Astra Desmond, which is a creamy white, which has yellowish foliage. And that's a great favorite of um, Arnie Maynard's. Um, he uses that rose quite a lot and that's better behaved. And, um, you know, I, I made a mistake with it though. I was 
pruning roses on autopilot and I cut it down too far. So it's having to sort of grow back a little bit because <laughs> ramblers, as I'm sure you know, you, you prune them in November and what you aim to do is take one whole stem out from the base. Mm. Um, and uh, if you've got, well, I still think you take old stems out of the base. Uh, perhaps you might take two or three uh, to uh, correspond with the number of new stems that you've got. So you're always ending up with the same stems, but you're taking some of the older stems out right at the base because that keeps the vigour in the rows. You don't cut them down. And I have to defend Floribundus, Mr Gray. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can. I'm not, I didn't say that I don't like them, but I don't like them as much as I like... Um, well, no. Yeah. I'm not a great hybrid tea fan because they are a bit upright and monstrous. Oh, well, there's one that I do like. It's called Coco Loco. Yes. It's very strange and lurid colouring, and I grow <laughs> it just for that. So I pack it in, in, into the border. It's packed around with other perennials, so I don't have to look at these bare legs, which are not pretty anyway. Yes. Um, but, you know, I can see the flowers, and I love those that colour. Well, I, I all have nice legs. Floribundas are, are amazing roses, actually, because... Um, they're not like the old Floribundas of old, which were short and, and uh, bare stems. They have wonderful foliage. My favourite rose is a Floribunda, and it's Champagne Moment. And I love that rose, and it is a Floribunda. And sadly, the rose growers don't sell it as a Floribunda because they know if they use the word Floribunda, nobody will buy it. <laughs> but, but I remember our first podcast, you mentioned Champagne yes. Moment. Yes, yes, um, I love it. And I've got an old one that used to grow at Dixter in the Rose Garden there called Chanel. Yes, that's probably um, a similar colour. It, it is, and it's bunch-flowered, and it's, it's, it's a messy rose, really. But I like messiness. I don't like these roses that look too regular and pointed and angular and chocolate boxy. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I think country gardens do need a certain level of um, simplicity in them and flow. I'd agree with you there. 32 acres does have simplicity, you know. <laughs> Even if some of it's lurid. Oh, how could you ever suspect that Alan would, would like a lurid rose wearing a shirt like that? <laughs> You've given me lots of, of rose, Flomo, particularly because I love ramblers, but I won't let myself have any. But you said that was a well-behaved rambler. Well, or... it is. It goes to about um, 10 feet here. But, I mean, you, you know... You, the thing is, you train roses, as Alan said, if you've got a 12-foot length of stem, you can wind it round a line post or a pergola, and that will slow the sap down, and you'll get better flowers. So you don't let your roses go straight up, particularly your leggy roses. You try, you try to sort of uh, uh, slow the slow sap down so you get more flower yeah. uh, lower down. And at Crathis Castle, they used to grow ramblers. I'm not sure if they still do. It was a long time ago. They used to have their ramblers tumbling down a bank. Mm. And um, that was very effective. John Treasury used to do that, didn't he? And, um, I didn't. I garden. never went to the garden. Oh, it was fantastic. It was, it was strange. I mean, he would, he would have clematis trained over prostrate junipers and roses trained and pegged along in the ground. I mean, yes. it must have been hell to weed, to be quite <laughs> yes. honest. Um, but he did it, and I mean, it, it was it was really jolly interesting to see. Yes, wow. yes, I'm I'm planting more clematis at the moment. Mm. Four to plant, so. Um, well, I'm going to plant the clematis later, and then panic about watering it. <laughs> you need to puddle it in, Thordis. 
I am always telling people about puddling in this ancient technique. <laughs> the hole, get the plant out the pot, fill the hole with water, plonk the plant in, and within seconds, cover it with soil. And as the water drains down, it will pull the soil down. You'll get a damp base at the bottom and you won't have to worry about it. Puddling is going to be happening in the Fridrickson household later on. <laughs> Now, you've given us all kinds of FLOMO, Val. FLOMO, of course, being that fear of missing out we get about some sort of flower or plant. It's how I live my life. Um, I've not only had it from this podcast, but my goodness, my trip to York Gate just blew my mind. I had wanted to go for years. I've written about it extensively in our latest newsletter. So head to getgardeningnow.co.uk to sign up, not just for my uh, my ramblings <laughs> about uh, your gate. There's much more interesting stuff from Alan, but it, it was wonderful to go and see this perennial garden, uh, the charity perennial rather than just full of perennials. Small, perfectly formed, lots of arts and crafts, backbone behind wonderful, exquisite planting. And obviously I wanted, you know, most of the things I saw there, but I had a couple of FLOMO to FLOMO no more moments where I instantly converted my FLOMO to a plant that I own in the plant sales area. One of them, unbelievably a hookera. Now, who would have thought that I would have gone to York Gate and fallen in love with a hookera? But... And it's hard to get across uh, on the screen. It's called Bronze Beauty. And it's, I mean, I suppose Bronze Beauty does it justice in some respects, but underneath the leaves, we've got proper rich pinks. The leaves themselves almost seem to have tones of, of orange and pink and lime about them in real life, particularly sort of blowing in the wind. It was absolutely beautiful in the garden and very cleverly in the plant sales area. They, uh, they said it was one of Ben Preston's favourites, which I'm sure sells twice as many plants. That's a selling point. <laughs> it is. And Ben did point it out when I was with him. So I think that actually is true. And also similar hues, I suppose. You'll like this one, Val, because it's a bit plural. That, that seeds in my garden. And I think it's just copper. I think that's its name. Yeah, it's rotundifolium copper. Yeah, Buplerum rotundifolium has several names, so um, special plants. Derry Watkins sells it as bronze form. Ah. And it, it's, it's a very, very good at self-seeding, a little too good sometimes. Oh, I do um, hope so. But I do love it. It's, and it's one of those plants where as the brats age they get they get darker so you just get all yes. these lovely different hues of yes. copper about it and it's a shame that they look so nice together because they are not intended for the same part in the garden but actually <laughs> these two bronze beauties beside each other are wonderful and there were so many other plants that I would have loved um they had that wonderful bright blue pea um is it Setivus? Setivus. um I think that was it, it didn't have a label but there yes. was this wonderful sort of fern border um, yes. where all these plants, there's just jewels of primulas yes. and roscoeas, wonderful little pops of colour amidst these stumps and huge hewn rocks. It, uh, oh, my mind is blown. It was fabulous. I want, I yeah, want to and, and all, all of those it. things would be just a bit later up there, weren't they? Because um, there's a, a, a very, very good article on um, Harlow Cars Woodland Garden in the Alpine Garden Society Bulletin. And, you, you know, the, the things are doing so well with that bit of chill that you get in places like York and Harrogate. Yeah, 
Yeah, it was it was lovely. Um, I I cannot recommend it enough. I know Alan's already wax lyrical about it. We'll have to link to one of Ben Preston's appearances on the podcast so you can hear more yes. about it. Um, but yes, do go if you possibly can. And I know that's unfair if I've you're listening been, abroad. But yeah, definitely. Yeah, Val, where are you at with your flomo? Well, I'm still after a later flowering budlier because my budlier at the moment I've got Davidii. And when we first moved here, we used to come up the garden path in July time, late July, and the budlia would be magnificent. And one day we put up 60 butterflies all at once. Um, <sighs> sadly, we, you know, we knew that there were 60 on there because we were looking at them and then they, they sort of moved and there are about 60 of them. And um, now because of climate change, the budlia flowers probably four weeks earlier, and it's already showing uh, colour uh, on, on the flowers now. And the vanessid butterflies, the things like the small tortoiseshells, the peacocks, the red admirals, the main flush of them misses out on the budlia. So I'm still looking for a Wayariana cross called um, Pink Pagoda, which I killed. I had it. I cut it down um, two years ago, I think it was, when we had, or perhaps last year, when we had that all those savage frosts one April. We had about 26 frosts in April here, and I'm afraid I killed it. Um, and I'm still looking for a replacement for it. And I've been looking at, it's a cross between Davidii and a later flowering one called Weyerania which has got orange flowers. So I'm still looking for my later flowering budlia and uh, trying to find it. And I've got some budlia cuttings that I took on the plinth. And of course I didn't put a label in them. And I'm just hoping that one of those cuttings is my pink pagoda. So I'm still on a budlia hunt basically. <laughs> so that my budlia will flower when the butterflies are about. Can I suggest something? Do you grow uh, Escalonia ivii? No. Well, that's a wonderful butterfly plant, white flowers, which of course you yes. won't love so much, um, but you'll have to tuck it behind your budlia. But, <laughs> but it could take over from the budlia. I mean, we, we, well, have it, we have it in the garden here and um, in the Mediterranean garden. And last year it was covered with butterflies and I had so many inquiries about it. I got somebody to grow plants for me. Um, because so many people wanted it. And I mean, it, I've been selling wonderful plants in five litre pots for about £12. Um, and they've all had... I'll have to look at it. I'm not that keen on white in this garden. It's a very no. hard colour here. Val, if you get enough butterflies on, it won't be white. They flower <laughs> magnificently well, but they're, they flower too early for the butterflies. Yeah. Which is why I'm trying to get this later flowering ones. And I try to delay the flowers by cutting the budlia back harder, I thought, well, that, that's, that sounds like a good option. Not a good option, because what I got was a lot of weaker growth coming down from lower down the budlia. And the growth was spindly. And then the wind came in and a lot of it got snapped off. So I didn't cut it back hard this year. I've left it. Um, How about Chelsea chopping it, Val? What Would, would that make I a don't difference? know. I perhaps ought to try that. Yeah. Yes. It might be a yes. good idea. It might mm. be an idea, mightn't it? Mm. I like Budley because you can keep deadheading it and um, it will rebloom. Um, and, um, you know, you, it, it's a good value plant. 
yeah, it's it not flowering. It's flowering earlier than it should. But that's true with so many things now. They're flowering earlier. I mm. used to grow um, herbaceous clematis purely because I got blue flowers in September. Now sometimes those flowers are out four or five weeks earlier. Yeah, it's true. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's... Um, it's horses for courses, I think. It's you know we can't we can't do. Um, we have to accept the weather that we get and the climate we get. The only thing we can do is try to limit it, um, you know, by recycling and being green and trying to behave as responsibly as we can towards the planet. Hmm. Well, any pink pagodas, send them Val's way. Yeah, I've been on the hunt for Pink Pagoda for months. It was bred by a chap called Peter Moore, who used to look after the Budlia collection down at um, Longstock Park. And I suspect it was a spontaneous seedling, although he may have bred it because he does hybridise different things. He's worked with Budlias quite a lot and produced silver-leafed ones like Silver Anniversary. But um, I don't think a lot of these plants that get bred they're not propagated enough because people don't know them and the nurseries will carry on propagating things that people know because the plant buyers in the bigger nurseries, chains and garden centre chains, sadly are not real plantsmen anymore, most of them. I'm actually going around my garden continually trying to find improved varieties of something, whatever. Yes. And I'll get rid of the common or garden and I will use those improved varieties. And I'd just like to tell you about one of them. There is a a lovely little philodelphus blooming at the moment called Casa Azul. And Ooh. it was a hybrid found by Nick Mesa between, it was a seedling growing between two Mexican varieties of philodelphus. And he named it Casa Azul. And it's covered with tiny white flowers, lovely scent, of course. And it has the most beautiful arching habit. Small leaves, dainty, classy. Yes, classy. I love philodelphus. I was looking yeah. at one that was at the plant sale um, only on Sunday, and it was called Lamayne, um, yeah. after Victor Lamont, who was the French nurseryman who did a lot of uh, uh, Philadelphus and he bred all the tree lilacs. I've got one in my garden called Sybil, um, which is very, very dainty. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get them going here because mm. uh, they are wonderfully lemon scented. Yeah. And they do really make summer very, very special. Casa Azul, I think, smells of bubblegum actually. Does it? It's strange. (laughs) But it's lovely to find a new plant. I've found a new crocosmia called Miss Scarlet. Yeah. Which is a little later flowering, um, bright red flowers, as you'd expect from Miss Scarlet. And it did very well on the crocosmia trial. And I managed to get some corms um, by uh, being persistent, basically. And I think that's one to look out for for the future. It came from Woolberton's. Warburton's Nursery, and they also bred one called Bright Eyes, which is another wonderful Procosmia. Um, they both got AGMs, and um, Bright Eyes has got orange flowers. They're quite small flowers. It's August flowering here, and it's got that sort of maroony um, brown eye that Emily McKenzie has. Yes, yeah. I can't grow Emily McKenzie here. I can't keep it, but I can keep Bright Eyes. And uh, Miss Scarlet has come through the winter and I'm hoping that she will do very, very well. And I've also acquired a lovely poker from Bressingham, which um, the head gardener at the Dell Garden, Jamie Blake, named after his father. I've got it too. You've got it. 
Yes. I wow. wonder if you've spotted it on yes. the website. Yeah, it's getting a bit crowded out with my planting, and I I keep saying to myself, I must look after that because if ever there's a really good plantsman in this country, it is Jamie Blake. Exactly. After the Dell Garden, and the Dell Garden is like a living library of plants. And if you want to go to a really great garden, go there. Jamie Blake never gets any praise for all the work that he does. Well, um, I think he's the most amazing plantsman. Yeah. and he does wonders in that garden with hardly any staff and Bressingham I mean you could go from Bressingham to Allen's <laughs> you could indeed you could. little yes. tour of Norfolk and little hope it's not as cold Norfolk. as when Val came Hire <laughs> Peter Beale's roses perhaps on the yes. way yes. <laughs> indeed where you can just because I went with my mum for her birthday we walked around Peter Beale's roses and it is lovely because you can get all the inspiration from you know all the roses planted out in the garden and you can just feel guilty for how you clearly don't feed your roses as well as they do at Peter Beale's nursery <laughs> yes well they should be doing it well shouldn't they <laughs> they should they are all very very healthy um Alan where are you at with your Flomo this week my Flomo has actually been satisfied, but I'll tell you about it. A plant that I've grown for many, many years, probably since the 1960s, is, is a tender shrub called Sparmania africana. Um, the charm about it is that it has very large, bright green, hairy leaves. It was uh, the kind of plant in the, in the 60s that people grew as a, as a house plant, especially if you had something, something new called a picture window, which you had to fill with something and they sort of put it in front of the picture window. And people used to say, because we've got picture windows, you know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I have, I heard that there was a variegated version of this plant. It has the most amazing white flowers with, with um, uh, yellow anthers in the middle um, and stamens, I mean, and the brown tips to them. Um, and it's a very pretty, nice plant. Um, I heard that there was a variegated version of it and I didn't know whether I'd ever to be able to get it. And fortunately for me, when um, No Name Nursery came, Steve Edney and his partner Lou yes. uh, came to stay a few weeks ago when we had our plant fair. He gave me a, a plant of this as a present for oh, letting him stay, which I thought was absolutely uh, stupendous. And now I'm suddenly sort of talking about it to various people. There's a double flowered form. Now, whether I'm going to like this double flowered form or not, I don't know. But I was just sort of looking on the internet as you do, and I suddenly saw that Bernco's Nursery in Cornwall, they actually had the double version. So I bought the double version. So I've now got three of them. And I've just <laughs> got to make sure, I've just got to make sure that I don't have propagate them and have too many because they can be quite large. The big ones that we have in, I don't know, 20 litre pots. We bed them out for the summer and bring them in for the winter. We give them a severe pruning. Um, sometimes they don't mind. Sometimes they give up the ghost. But, you know, you've got to do that because of the limited space you have, even with 32 acres. <laughs> yes, even with 32 acres. I'm so jealous because Alan, of course, being so close to the sea, you can actually see a lighthouse through one of his windows in his hedges, I believe. Yes, yes you can. <laughs> you know, gets away with all sorts of plants. Because yes. of the maritime climate, yeah, exactly. I would really struggle with here. So I'm, I don't know very many tender plants. And um, Steve Edney's No Name Nursery, I hope, will be a big, you know, success because he's very interested in in tender plants and lots of other plants as well. Well, of course, he has the maritime climate down in Kent as well. Yes, with, yes um, absolutely. He yes. does. And so, I mean, yes. we, we share that in common. But it's always worthwhile, you know, leaving something in if you've got an air and a spare as a cutting. 
Because if you yeah. leave it over the winter, you might be surprised. You may not. You may have a corpse no. at the end of the winter. But if you don't try, you'll never know. No, I mean, camellias, they were grown, weren't they, as hothouse yeah. plants? And then yes, look at something went with a greenhouse and they all got exposed and people thought they were going to die and they didn't. Yeah. There's loads of plants like that that are much hardier than people ever imagined. Especially today, Val. Yes, especially today. Although we get winter wet here. Yes. We, we are cold and we are wet in the winter. Yeah. So um, it does do for a lot of things because it's winter wet, not cold temperatures that kill things. Yeah. Sadly. Yeah. Mm. Well, yeah, maybe don't try too many of the tender things outside in cold Aston. It might not be quite <laughs> as successful as in sunny maritime <laughs> East Austin. <laughs> Oh, Val, I'm so glad you were able to come and join us. It's been an extravaganza of wonderful planty goodness. We've been all over the place. And every time I'm just wowed by what you managed to grow in your garden. It's like you've got 32 acres. You've just packed them into, what is it, half an acre? A third of an yeah, acre? It's a third of an a third. acre. And a third of that is actually down to vegetables and fruit. Because otherwise there'd be a divorce. <laughs> <laughs> You're an inspiration, Val. Well, I don't know about that. Thank you for asking me. And it's lovely to see you both. It's a pleasure, Val. As always, the pleasure is all ours. Thank you Until very next much. time. Happy gardening. Until next time. Happy gardening, everybody. Hey, Fordice here. Just to say thank you so much for listening to Talking Dirty. You are now officially our favourite person. If you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant-loving mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening, and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time.